Turn with me in your copy of the Scriptures to 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll take up our reading in verses 41 through 46. 1 Kings chapter 18, 41 through 46. You'll find this on page 382 of your pew Bible. Give here, give ear to God's word. 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with cloud and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Amen. Let me also read from James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, commenting on the life of Elijah as we come to this culminating point in Elijah's ministry. Everything has been uphill to this point. It will largely be downhill uh, from this point forward. But James chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, commenting on Elijah, writes, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. As we open it up this evening, would You teach us from it what is the power of prayer? Help us to learn from this great example of prayer in the prophet Elijah, Lord. Teach us to pray. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Do you pray? A few weeks ago, we were looking at the contest on Mount Carmel, and we saw Baal's prophets pray, but Baal, you'll remember, did not answer. But then Elijah prayed to the Lord, and there was an answer. Elijah prayed that the Lord would make himself known, and the Lord answered that prayer. Elijah prayed that he would turn the hearts of his people, and the Lord did just that. The people proclaimed, the Lord, he is God, in answer to Elijah's prayer. Today I want to look at the next six verses of that account, and from this passage we're going to see very clearly that God does not always or immediately answer prayer. Sometimes He makes us to wait. And what should we do when God makes us wait? Our text teaches us that you are to be fervent in prayer. This is what James highlights about Elijah more than anything else. He is an example of fervent prayer. Let us begin by looking at uh, Elijah's uh, situation in verses 41 through 43. Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. 
And so therefore, three and a half years, the Lord, He had cursed the land. He had brought drought and famine. He kept back the rain, as you've been following along, because uh, Israel had broken covenant with God. Uh, King Ahab had introduced idols, uh, worship of Baal. And as a, a curse against that, this rain is withheld. Uh, but then after three and a half years, the Lord promised Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And so Elijah does that. He shows himself to Ahab. And we've seen how that meeting went in the weeks previous to this, especially in the contest between Baal prophets and Elijah on Mount Carmel. Ahab had to wake up early. He had to climb Mount Carmel. He had to wait from morning until midday for Baal to answer. But Baal never shows up because, as we learn, Baal is no god. And in the evening, the Lord answered Elijah's prayer. He sent fire from heaven, proving himself to be the one true God. And after all this, Elijah, after all this, Ahab climbed down from the mountain to watch Elijah uh, slaughter every one of the false prophets down in the brook of Kishon. That was uh, the execution of the Deuteronomic law that required false prophets uh, to be put to death. Well, it's been a long day, and perhaps from King Ahab's perspective, it's been a pretty bad day. Uh, he was part of the pro-Baal camp, and so he's pretty disappointed at the results of this contest. Uh, but it's about to get better. Elijah tells Ahab, go up. Go up from the slaughter in the brook of Kishon. Go up, he says, to eat and drink. Elijah's saying it's time for supper, but this isn't a, an ordinary meal. This isn't a common meal. Actually, what we have here is a, a celebratory covenant meal. God has consumed the burnt sacrifice on the mountain, and now it's time for the king to enter into this covenant meal uh, with the Lord. Elijah says, go up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. The return of covenant blessing is coming. And this sound then is the good news. Elijah's command to the king to eat and drink is a summons for him to celebrate the covenantal blessings which the land is about to enjoy. God's promise fulfilled. This is the sound of a, a rich and abundant rain. It's going to refresh a, a dry and a weary land. Uh, uh, this rain will quench parched throats of thirsty people. Uh, soon the heavens, it's going to split open as it were. And the, the Lord is going to pour down on the land and on, a, on His people uh, this promise of covenantal blessing, that is, the rain. Well, King Ahab, he accepts Elijah's invitation. He, he eats his supper. Look at verse 42. Ahab went up to eat and drink. But notice Elijah does not join him. Instead, we read that Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and there he bowed himself down to the earth, and he put his face between his knees. What, what is Elijah doing here? He, he is being fervent in prayer. Elijah's not up there to enjoy a nature walk. He's not up there to take in fresh mountain air. He's not there for self-care or for his own mental health. He's up there to pray. What is prayer? Prayer is praising God. It's thanking God. In this text, prayer is asking God for the things He has promised. It's an offering up of Elijah's desires unto the Lord according to God's will. You'll notice the text never actually says Elijah prayed. We receive that as an authoritative interpretation in James that this is what Elijah is doing. Uh, but the words, even though they're not there, uh, the, the words of the prayer are not provided for us. We know that Elijah is praying uh, simply by the posture that he takes. We recognize this is a posture of prayer. And then James confirms it for us. Elijah prayed fervently and it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again and heaven gave rain. Now, it's worth keeping in mind, Elijah, he, he's borne the burden of the day. 
rebuilding the altar, butchering the bull sacrifice, going down to slaughter the hundreds of false prophets of Baal. It's not easy work. It's exhausting. Not to mention all the climbing up and climbing down and climbing up again. It's late. Elijah's almost certainly tired. And if you were Elijah, if I were Elijah, I know what I would like to do at the end of a a long day. I'd like to sit down in a comfortable chair, enjoy a beverage, relax for the evening. But that is not what Elijah does. Elijah doesn't join the king to eat or go to sleep. He's eager to receive receive for the king and for the people this promise which the Lord has given him. And that is why Elijah instead takes time to pray. I want us to dwell this evening on this description of Elijah's prayer for a moment, because I I do believe it's instructive for us as an example of prayer. I don't know about you, uh, but I know for myself I often struggle to pray. I I think we can learn a great deal about prayer uh, from this example in the life of Elijah. Even though the words of Elijah's prayer are not recorded for us, uh, we can learn by looking at how Elijah prays. First, I want you to notice that this is private prayer. Elijah is alone. He's got a servant close at hand. We don't really know who this servant is or where he came from. Uh, He didn't have a servant before, but suddenly he has one. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. Uh, This servant is close at hand. uh, But other than that, it's Elijah and his God. Elijah departs from the people. He departs from the king. He climbs back up the mountain. He prays there on the top of Mount Carmel privately. Elijah might have stayed with the crowds. He just experienced this great victory in the defeat of the Baal prophets. And I think for many of us, we would think this is the time to have a a great ceremonious public prayer with all the pomp and circumstance that often comes along with a great victory. But that's not what Elijah does. Instead, he travels to a private place. Abraham is noted as having prayed in his garden. Uh, David prayed in his cave. Elijah prayed on the mountain. The Lord Jesus Christ was also very accustomed to praying in such a private place, on the mountain or in the garden. I would ask, where do you pray? Do you have a place where you can be alone with your God? And if not, then I would commend this practice of private prayer. Find a place where you can be alone with the Lord. Maybe it's your porch, a swing in your backyard, perhaps your office or garage. I doubt many of us Uh, would take up literally the practice of having a prayer closet. I know my closets are much too small, uh, but have a place where you can pray privately with your God. Well, secondly, notice this is humble prayer. Elijah bowed himself down on the earth, and from that low position, he put his face between his knees. What's going on here? Elijah is either kneeling or crouching. He's putting his head between his knees. Uh, He's casting himself low down to the ground. And this is a a posture of prayer. I say a posture of prayer because it's not the only posture of prayer you find in the Old or New Testament. Many people uh, want to debate and argue about what is the right way of praying biblically, and there's a great variety in the postures of prayer, uh, but this is one of them. Scripture portrays people praying in many positions. Some pray uh, prostrate to the ground. Some pray standing. Uh, But the body language, no matter what the case, always communicates something about the posture of one's soul who is praying. Here, Elijah's posture uh, communicates to us humility before a holy God. And so we see this as humble prayer. Elijah might have stood publicly and prayed publicly. He may have done so and 
he would have done so uh, with the sense of the great victory in the background. He, He prayed, and great fire fell from heaven. He prayed, and his enemies were defeated, but Elijah does none of that. He, he retreats to a private place. He gets low to the ground, and he goes to his God in humble prayer. And so I'd ask you, are, are you humble in prayer? A prayer, by definition, is a, a, an act that requires humility. It's recognizing and acknowledging our own insufficiency and our need to go to someone outside of ourselves for that which is necessary to us. Are you humble in prayer? Are you bowing down before your God? Are you pleading with Him for mercy and for grace? Or are you like that tax collector, presumptuous, proud, thanking God that He's not like those other sinners? Do you think that God owes you anything? The Scripture warns us that God opposes the proud, so humble yourself in private prayer. Well, third, this is watchful prayer. Elijah sent his servant saying, go up now, look toward the sea. And so from a certain point in Mount Carmel, remember Mount Carmel is this this mountain and it's right next to the sea and uh, you can go out in these sort of uh, these uh, points on Mount Carmel where you'd be able to look out towards the Mediterranean and if a storm cloud were to be coming uh, from uh, the sea, this is where it would come from. It'd be easy to see from this position. So Elijah prays, but he, he instructs his servant to watch while he prays. Elijah, he, he knows the drought is coming to an end. He knows the Lord will answer, and so he's watching for the Lord to answer his prayer. For those of you who do pray, do you pray and watch? Are you keeping watch during and after prayer? Are you taking note of the ways in which the Lord has answered prayer? One useful practice for this is to write down the things for which you are praying, the people for whom you are praying in a notebook and keep track of the things which you are praying for and make a note when the Lord answers prayer. How often it is the case that we we miss the opportunities to praise the Lord for answering prayer because we haven't been paying attention. But if we keep track, we will see that God has a pretty good track record of answering prayer. He, he answers prayer sometimes when we pray for uh, sick family members or for struggling marriages, for uh, people in our relationships, family members who do not know Christ, and we, we pray for them. Sometimes it takes years and years, but the Lord will answer prayer. Let me encourage such a practice to you. Well, fourth, notice this is expectant prayer. Elijah, he, he expects an answer. His servant watched, but unfortunately for Elijah, he brings back bad news at first. There was nothing. There's no storm. There's no cloud. There's no rain. Is Elijah discouraged? Does he give up? Does he turn himself towards disbelief, unbelief, abandon his Lord and God? No. He continues to expectantly wait for the Lord to answer. And so I'd ask you, do you you expect the Lord to answer you? Do you believe that he will? Or are you half-hearted, double-minded, praying but not really believing that the Lord will answer prayer? When you pray, you must pray with faith and expect the Lord to hear and answer your prayers. Well, finally, this is persistent prayer. His servant said there was nothing, and Elijah says, go again. Not once, not twice, not three times, but seven times. He prayed, and he kept on praying, and he did not give up praying. And so we see that Elijah, he prayed privately. He prayed humbly, he, ex- he prayed expect- expectantly, and he prayed persistently. 
And this is why James highlights Elijah as an example of one who is fervent in prayer. That language, fervent in prayer, is literally just prayers praying. It has nothing to do with the emotional workup of his heart, as if he was very passionate about prayer. Uh, He didn't work himself up into a frenzy in prayer. That's not what it means when it says he was fervent. It simply means that he prayed and praying he prayed. Uh, It's emphasizing his persistence more than anything else. And so James would urge us likewise, pray. Pray like Elijah prayed. Pray privately. This world is full of distractions. We need to flee from them. The constant onslaught of social media and cable television and video on demand. We need to turn these things off. We need to put them away. We need to find a private place to pray morning and evening and afternoon. We are to pray humbly. We need to go before our Father in heaven, confessing our sins, acknowledging our guilt, begging His mercy, praising Him for His marvelous grace. Know that the Lord has promised that He delights in humble prayer. We need to pray watchfully. We need to pay attention and praise the Lord when He answers our prayer. Pray expectantly, believing that God will answer even when He doesn't do so immediately. Pray persistently. Pray seven times. Pray 70 times, seven times. We need to, like Jacob, wrestle with our God in prayer and receive His blessing. This is how Elijah prayed, and the Lord answered Elijah's prayer. Elijah believed all along that the Lord would say yes. Elijah had confidence in prayer. Why? Because he had the promise of God. The Lord had promised Elijah, I will send rain upon the earth. And so Elijah, by faith, believed that it was only a matter of time before the Lord fulfilled that promise. I think it's important for us to realize here, often a mistake when we talk about prayer and the examples of prayer in the Bible, we think there's some secret technique, some method that if we just employ and do it exactly the right way, then the Lord will be compelled somehow to answer. That's not what's going on at all. The the confidence that Elijah has in his prayer is founded solely on the fact that God had promised these things in His Word. The Lord would fulfill His promises. But here we especially notice that the Lord doesn't always answer every prayer immediately. He doesn't always answer every prayer positively. Sometimes He does make His people wait. Sometimes He will say no. But if we pray fervently as Elijah prayed, if you want to pray confidently, then the best thing you can do is to pray according to the promises of God. Scripture says this is the confidence that we have toward the Lord, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, then we know that we have the request that, he has, that, that we have asked of Him. This isn't a catch-all promise to pray for Lamborghinis and McMansions and whatever else we might imagine would be good for ourselves, but to pray according to the will of God, to things that are agreeable to Him especially those things that He has expressly said in His Word uh, that He desires for His people. This is how we should pray. The best way to start doing that is to read His Word and to consider what it says about God and His promises. I'll give some examples from the Psalms. Psalm 9 says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. So we should have great confidence to pray, Lord, Be a stronghold for me. Protect me. Guard me. Keep me safe. 
Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We should have great confidence, therefore, to pray along these lines. Lord, be my shepherd. Shepherd me especially that I might see you in heaven, that I would be with you where you are. Lead me through the the valley of darkness and all these things. Shepherd me, Lord. Provide for me the food I need, the water I need. Shepherd me spiritually. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Oh, Lord, help me not to fear. Psalm 54, verse 4, behold, the Lord is the upholder of my life. And so we can pray, Lord, uphold my life. Perhaps my favorite, Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Pray, Lord, be merciful to me. Be gracious. That's a prayer the Lord will hear and he will answer. Lord, be patient. I know I'm a sinner. Be slow to anger. The Lord will hear that prayer too. Be abounding in steadfast love. Well, Elijah had one such promise. The Lord had said, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. And so Elijah obeyed. He showed himself to Ahab and then he prayed. I do want to note here though that this promise comes with a condition. Elijah had to show himself to Ahab. Often the promises of God come with conditions. Think of the blessing of rain. It was conditioned on Israel obeying the Lord. We need to repent. We need to believe. We should not expect that we will be blessed apart from it. Pay attention to the conditions. Elijah obeyed and then he prayed and then he prayed. Seven times he prayed and then the Lord answered him. We see the Lord's answer in verses 44 through 46. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. It took six times of seeing nothing before Elijah's servant saw anything at all. And that anything that he saw wasn't some impressive rain cloud that had uh, great uh, gray weighty clouds of, uh, of, of rain. No, it was this little cloud. Basically, the idea here is you could stand on the, on the cliff and you could look out toward the Mediterranean Sea and you could, you could see a little something there, but you could cover it with your hand. That's about the size of this rain cloud. Uh, nothing like what we see here in Greenville. The Lord didn't answer Elijah's prayer the first time. And even on the seventh time, he answered with something very small. The Lord sent a little cloud. From Elijah's servant's perspective, looking out at the distance over the sea, the cloud is no bigger than his hand. And yet this was the Lord's answer to Elijah's prayer. The Lord often answers our prayers in this way with little clouds. We pray for a complete healing and we get gradual recovery. You pray for holiness and sanctification for yourself, and the Lord doesn't change you perfectly overnight, does He? It's a long process in which we are made more like Him. Incremental progress. You pray for salvation for a friend or a co-worker, and the Lord, what does He do? He doesn't snap His fingers and say, yes, that person's saved. No, He provides you opportunities to share the gospel. By His grace, He gradually convinces and converts sinners. Well, as soon as Elijah saw this little cloud, he sent word to the king, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. Elijah, he looks at this little cloud, and by faith he knows that King Ahab is about to get stuck unless he warns him of the the rain. The sands would soon turn to mud. The 
river would soon flood, all because of this little cloud that the Lord had sent in an answer to Elijah's prayer. And so we are to pray, and we are to watch, and we are to see the small ways in which the Lord is answering prayer, and we are to expect bigger things. You see, after a little while, that Lord's little cloud got larger and larger, and it grew into a great storm. We read the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. There hasn't been any rain in the land for three and a half years. But now, by God's grace, there's a great rain. And we see the Lord answered Elijah's prayer. Just very briefly, we might wonder, why, why does Elijah run back to Jezreel? Why is he running before the king's chariot? On one hand, we can say, well, you don't really want to be around when a great rainstorm comes. It's pretty dangerous, flooding roads, this sort of thing. But I think more important than this, what we must not miss is that Elijah, by running before the king, is honoring the king. He's showing Ahab that he is no enemy, that he is not opposed to Ahab out of any sort of personal vendetta. That's no grudge against him. Elijah runs before the king's chariot as a way of honoring the king. But also to signify to us something of a decision that Ahab must make. You see, Elijah as a prophet is a representative of God's word. And Ahab as king has departed from the word. And God had for a time even removed the word from the land by sending Elijah elsewhere. And what Elijah is showing the king is that if he would have the blessings of the Lord, the blessing of the covenant, he must return back to that pattern which the Lord had established, wherein the king follows after and listens to this prophet and the word of God. Elijah is not the enemy. He is a prophet of the Lord, and so he honors the king. Elijah is zealous for the Lord, and so he is zealous to see the king's heart turned to the Lord. Elijah does detest Ahab's idolatry, but he honors him as king, and he desires that he would repent and return to obedience to God's word. While Elijah was fervent in prayer, he prayed that the Lord would graciously turn back the hearts of his people. And the Lord answered that prayer. Elijah was certainly praying for Ahab as well. Would Ahab turn away from his idolatry and follow the Lord according to his word? I think this is why Elijah ran ahead to the entrance of Jezreel. After all, he had seen the Lord answer by fire. He had seen the Lord's little cloud become a great storm. Perhaps now the Lord would indeed turn the heart of the king back to himself. As it turns out, and we'll see this in the following passage, it does not seem to be the case, sadly. We, we do not seem to see any real lasting repentance on the part of King Ahab or really even by the people. It's temporary. The Lord blesses them even in that temporary repentance, but it does not last. Well, we've seen Elijah. He was a man of prayer, fervent in prayer. You've seen how the Lord answered that prayer. Now, having considered these things, I want us to conclude this morning by considering 
another mountain. In the Scripture, there are three significant mountains, and we're looking at the second one, wherein God is, is engaged with His people through a covenant mediator. Uh, here on Mount uh, Carmel, it is Elijah interceding on behalf of the, the people and God. And we have in the first part uh, of Mount Sinai, Moses is the first one who intercedes in that role. And then, of course, we have the Lord Jesus Christ on Mount Calvary. The, the imagery here of mountains and clouds and covenant blessings of rain and of fire and all this stuff, it's all the, the, sim, the symbols of, of the covenant mountain of the Lord, the presence of the Lord with His people. And we should not miss that. Just to think of that third mountain. If the Lord answered the fervent prayers of His servant Elijah, how much more will He answer the fervent prayers of His beloved Son? We studied some time ago uh, the great high priestly prayer recorded in John 17 wherein Jesus prayed, Holy Father, keep them in Your name. Wherein He prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Wherein He prayed, may they be with Me where I am to see My glory. We see that this is Jesus praying for His people. And He's praying for us even now. You see, the, the, the fact is that Jesus, when He died on the cross, He did not remain dead. He was raised from the dead. And then He ascended above the heavens into glory. And even now, He prays for His people. And so I would ask you, as a disciple above His Master, if Jesus is praying, should you not also be praying and has He not furnished you with everything you need? Has He not promised His Spirit to help you in your weakness? Has He not also promised that that same Spirit intercedes for you according to the will of God? Has He not invited you to pray in His name? Has He not promised, whatever you ask in My name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son? Certainly He has promised. Jesus is praying for you. His Spirit is interceding for you. You have been invited to pray in His name. Take up these promises and all the promises of Scripture and with these draw near to the throne of grace. Be fervent in prayer and know that there is a God in heaven who hears and answers prayer. Let us go to the Lord in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the great example of prayer which we have in this prophet of Yours, Elijah. His whole life marked him as being a man of prayer. Not only the praying for drought, but the praying for the Zarephathian widow's son to be raised from the dead, praying for fire to fall from heaven, praying for rain to return to the land. And Lord, we know that Elijah in and of himself had no power to do any of these things. He only had one resource, and that resource was prayer. We praise You that You are a God who hears and answers our prayers, Lord. And we pray that You would make us a people of prayer. Would You put it on our hearts to be fervent in prayer, to pray and to keep on praying. Lord, do this for Your own glory, that we might praise You as You answer our prayers. Amen.